Merry Christmas from Centerpoint Church. As you know, this Christmas season has some iconic Christmas music. By now, you may be sick of hearing it. This week, we're going to be looking at a Christmas song. And every week of this collection, we'll be bouncing around to some different songs to really pull out some biblical truths about the birth of Jesus. Let's jump right in. I want to jump into today's message. We are starting this new collection of talks called Playlist. And what we're going to do is every single week, we're going to take a look at a different song, an iconic Christmas song, and then tie it into our message, all leading to the birth of of the Messiah. And this week, as you heard Charles Abbott sing with the voice like an angel, my goodness, you want to know what Gabriel's voice sounded like? Sounded like Charles Abbott. You don't want to know what Gabriel looks like? It's not Charles Abbott. He's better looking. Come on. But we're going to be talking about Grandma Got Ran Over by a Reindeer. And as Pastor Danny talked about, you probably never heard a message on that before. And you may not ever hear one again after today. So this may be a, a one-time thing that uh, we, don't, we don't ever try to repeat. What I want to talk about during our month together is to look at the Christmas story from a historical perspective. Because I want to give you what was happening during the time historically leading up to Christmas morning. And if you have a Bible, and your Bible doesn't glow like mine, but if you have like an actual Bible, you'll notice that there is one page that is separating Malachi, or as my kids call it, Malachi, to Matthew. So there's one page in between the very last book of the Old Testament and the very first book of the New Testament. And one page, two very different worlds. You, you may have read it, and, and at the end of Malachi, the paradigm is very different than what it looks like in Matthew. So what happened in between that one little page in your Bible? That one little page in your Bible would be a perfect spot for you to write the notes for today's message so that you have those answers. But, but I got to tell you that that one page actually represents 400 years we call it in theological circles the intertestamental period because it's in between the two testaments. But it's one flip of the page, but it represents 400 years. So Malachi ends telling us about how Elijah's going to come back because Elijah didn't die. And, and then he's saying, you, you, you'll see Elijah's going to come back when you see Elijah. And, 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 and it looks very different than Matthew 1.1, which starts off with the genealogy of Jesus, son of David, son of Abraham. And, and if you read it, it's almost like there's a disconnect, and it's because there was 400 years of silence. Now, do not mistake 400 years of silence with 400 years of inactivity, because we serve the living God. And there was a lot going on during those 400 years. And what we're going to do during our time today is break down from a historical perspective what was going on. Because early on in my walk with God, I like asked this question of my vacation Bible school teacher because I was that kid. And I was like, hey, if, if man got kicked out of the Garden of Eden, then why didn't God just send Jesus the next day? That's a good question. And I'm going to give her the same, I'm going to give you the same answer she gave me. I don't know, Jason, shut up and sit down. No, she, <laughs> that's like when your kid asks you a really good question and you're like, as long as you live under my roof, 
Or, or you, the voice of your father commandeers your lips and you say, because I... S- Why didn't he send Jesus right after, the day after, or the minute after the original sin? And here's why. I'll tell you in about 30 minutes. But imagine what this would be like with approximately 15 centuries, God has been speaking to his people. He's been speaking to his people through creation, directly, through angels, through nature, through prophets, you always knew what God wanted, what God thought, what God desired. It doesn't mean you did it, but you knew. But now all of a sudden, there's nothing. Radio silence. What would that feel like? What would that be like? And imagine that that existed for 400 years. Years. That means generations went by without hearing from God. And that's what I want us to hover over today, that even though it may appear as if God was silent, he was not inactive. And that what's happening is throughout history, we are weaving together this tapestry that would present itself in the fullness of time, in the perfect time for the Messiah to come. It's almost like God knew what he was doing. So, so let's backtrack for just a minute, and let's talk about how the Old Testament ends. So we're in Malachi, and Malachi's written roughly 440 B.C., but what you need to know is it's during the Persian Empire. So the Persian Empire is ruling, the Babylonian Empire, Persian Empire, roughly 50,000 Jews at this time, Israelites at this time, And things are pretty good because the Persian Empire let Ezra and Nehemiah lead them back and rebuild the gate and rebuild the temple. There's 50,000 Israelites that no longer scattered. They they have a home they can can come back to. and, And things are pretty good. It's a pretty decent time for the last couple hundred years to to actually be an Israelite, but yet all of these prophets are saying, stay tuned, stay close, lean in, because hard times are coming, because, because some, some, some difficult times for you are on the horizon, and they did what you and I do during the good times. Oh, that's not true. This is going to last forever. Every single one of you thinks, because I do too, that we're all going to die at 105 years old and like you're going to be surrounded by your great-grandchildren who are singing a mighty fortress is our God as we just peacefully slip into eternity. Now, some of you may. Some of you are close. Some of you, your middle name is Methuselah. You'll get that later. But, but we do that during the good times. We think, ah, no, no, this is going to last forever. We're good. I thought that way growing up about the 49ers, man. I grew up with Joe Montana and Jerry Rice and thought we're going to be good forever. Right now it feels like Alabama is going to be good forever. But they won't. But that's what they did. And then all of a sudden... What happens is silence. They stop hearing from God. 
for 400 years. Now imagine every day that goes by and there's no prophets, there's no angels, there's no voices, there's no evidence that God exists. And every day that goes by, the tension starts to build and it starts to build. And what happens is, is that now it's been years. Now it's been decades. Now it's been centuries. And the promises that God made slowly fade to legend. And then legends slowly fade into myth. And then what you have is a generation that says, did it really happen? Is that, is that a little old-fashioned? Is that, is that the stuff you're going to believe? And what had to happen during that time is I think we had to lean in to the importance of oral history, which is lost in today's society. So, here it is. On the story of Grandma Got Ran Over by a Reindeer. It is the story of someone singing the song about what happened to Grandma. Now, we're going to leave out the part where she had too much eggnog. <laughs> Though that's probably in the Bible as well. And what happened is, is he is telling the story to whoever will listen as to what happened to grandma. And you may say there's no such thing as Santa, but as for me and grandpa, we believe. During the intertestamental period with the 400 years of silence, having grandparents and parents and aunts and uncles telling the next generation about the things that God did, the things that God said, the things that he promised from the beginning was more vital than ever. Because as time passed, it felt like it wasn't real. Let me tell you, and I hope this ruins your life, what God showed me that ruined my life this week. So let me take my misery, pass it on to you. <laughs> I felt God tell me, do your children know your testimony? Do your children know when you got saved? Because the answer was no up to this week. I just assumed Maybe they overheard it. Do your children, do your grandchildren know what Jesus did for you? Because if the answer is no, the truth will expire with you. You may say there's no such thing as Jesus, but let me tell you what he did for me. Let me tell you what he did in my life. And if you're lucky enough that you have a family history of people who have followed Jesus for generations, and if you do, you are lucky. If you don't, let it start with you. Do your children know how their grandparents got saved? How their great-grandparents got saved? What the generations of Jesus has done in your life? And the answer is, if the answer is, I'm the first one who saved in my family, great, then tell them what the depravity looked like before that and how your life turned 180 degrees and what Jesus did. And we need to constantly remind them because let me tell you what, the truth of what Jesus did in your life doesn't get revealed through your Insta stories, through your Facebook posts. They need to hear it from you because where we are now is not 400 years of silence where we are now is 2,000 years of too much noise. Oh, that's good. That's good. I'm preaching better than you're amening, but whatever. 
I can hear my grandma through the computer saying amen. 400 years of nothing, and they had to remind people what God said because it probably felt like the bad guys were winning. But right now, God is in silent. But the world is too loud. So if God wanted to speak to you, would there be too much noise to drown him out? Because it's going to be a still small voice. But that still small voice isn't going to force its way into your Google calendar at the most convenient time. If you're in here, I don't care how old you are. I don't care how long you've walked with Jesus. If Jesus has done something for you, it is your job to proclaim it to the next generation until you hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And if you're not doing that, then you are just wasting the blood of Christ. So during this time, they had to cling to Scripture. During, we're in the 400 years of silence. They had to cling to these promises and the signs to look for. Because we're going to get to this in a little bit, but what is going to happen in this world shouldn't surprise the people of God. God's not this magician that has this great trick behind this curtain, and he's waiting, and he's like, surprise, I was here all along. I'm getting ahead of myself. These are the scriptures that they had to cling to. So we're going to look at Isaiah, and then we're going to look at two in Malachi. And these are the things they had to remind people. They had to say, remember this. Remember this. I know it's been a while. I know it feels like it doesn't exist, but God is real. There's evidence that God has done all of these things. Isaiah 40, 3 through 5. This is God speaking through Isaiah. A voice of the one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. He's talking about the Messiah that's going to come, and John the Baptist will be here. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all the people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let's go to Malachi 3.1. This is Malachi. Remember at the end, he's telling them, keep an eye for Elijah. It's going to appear like there's nothing. But when you start seeing Elijah come back, that's how you're going to know the Messiah is in this world. Malachi 3.1. I will send my messenger who prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. They needed to hold on to these promises like a family heirloom because so many decades had gone by since there was any evidence that God was still with them, since there was any evidence that God was still existing and still active and still involved because at this time, now, just as they promised, persecution is coming. Just as they promised, more evil armies are going to come in. Just as they promised, it's going to be a difficult time to be an Israelite. Malachi 4, 5 through 6. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children. I love this phrase. And the hearts of the children to their parents. Or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. This is reminding us that we need to promise and trust and exemplify and tell and magnify and remind the next generation that this is what we are looking for, that God made these promises and his promises have never failed us now. And though there may not seem to be any evidence that God is alive and existing today, we hold true because 
God has shown up before, and he will show up again. So, let's talk about what was happening, because though we don't have any canon, though we don't have anything in the Bible that tells us what happened during that intertestamental period, unless you believe in the Apocrypha, which I do not, then we, but we do have lots of different historical evidence and different historical documents that told us exactly what was happening during this time. So I told you approximately 440 BC is when Malachi is written under Persian rule. And Persian rule is going to happen for a while. And then what happens is this, this like amazing fighter with an eye patch. It's kind of like Blackbeard. From, from Macedonia by the name of Philip II starts raising up an army. And, and he starts taking the Persian army and making them weak and winning these little battles here and there and growing his own army. And right before he can defeat the Persian Empire, because I think he was going to, he gets assassinated by one of his bodyguards. And then he's got a son who you've probably heard of named Alexander the Great. At the time, he was just Alexander the Okay. Later, he would be Alexander the Great. Thank you. My jokes are, are going over pretty well today. <laughs> I may go with week two right now as well, just carry this momentum. But Alexander did more, in my opinion, for the gospel than any person in the history of this country that wasn't a believer. He didn't even know it. You see, Alexander at a young age had a tutor by the name of Aristotle. Not bad for a personal tutor. My kids have me. He had Aristotle. So Aristotle not only would train him up, but he also made Alexander obsessed with Greek culture. We would actually refer to this in history as Hellenism. And what Alexander the Great would do is as he would conquer places, and by the way, he did conquer Palestine, 332 BC, yes, conquers Palestine, Persian Empire falls. Now the Greek Empire is going to take over and Hellenism spreads. So everywhere Alexander the Great went, he would bring Greek culture with him. This is going to be important later during the ministry of this man named Jesus of Nazareth. This is going to be important later from this man named Paul, who used to be known as Saul from Tarsus. These are going to be important things later because even during the silence, God is not inactive. He is weaving together the perfect opportunity for the fullness of time for the Messiah to show up on earth. So so remember, we're looking at all of this through the biblical historical perspective. Alexander the Great, after approximately 11 years, it's pretty amazing how, how fast he, he spread his dominance. He dies. And there's some arguments as to how he dies. But he was so arrogant to think that he was indestructible that he actually never had a succession plan. Now, he did leave a lady pregnant as he died. And, and so there was, uh, 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 there was an Alexander the Great Jr. in existence when he died, but nobody's going to take a baby in utero and put it on the throne. So all he did was tell people, leave the empire to the strong. Well, what does that mean? Because physically, I'm not strong. My hair game is strong. I'm stubborn. What does strong mean? They didn't know either, but they divided it into fours, four different men, and they ruled, and it didn't go well. It, they fought, because men like power, and then right when that baby, Alexander the Great Jr., starts to rise up, they kill it, because they don't want someone else taking their power. As soon as somebody has power, it's really hard for them to release it, a.k.a. federal government. <laughs> My bad. 
And it's the same is true there. They, they didn't want to lose their power. And so then what happens is, is that it's spread out a little bit and there's not one particular empire, but there's fighting and it spreads. You have 167 BC. Let me double check my date. Yes, you have the Maccabean revolt where they come over and try to fight and take back what the temple was that was desecrated. Just three years later, they take it back. They light it back up again. Now we have Hanukkah. If you see anything of just celebration of Hanukkah, it's the cleansing of the temple. They get it back. They light it back up with the oil. It's the festival of light. 164 BC. And, and then this kind of happens where there's not really a dominant power until 63 BC. 63 BC, 63 years before the birth of Jesus. Pompey, some people call him Pompey the Great. You may hear it pronounced both ways. Pompey takes over and establishes what will eventually grow to be the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire is the backdrop of the entire New Testament. So what's interesting is, is that when you have Malachi and you turn the page, all of a sudden things are very, very different. You have a different government in power. You have these things called Pharisees and Sadducees. Where'd they come from? They're not in the Old Testament. You've got all these different things that are different and it's one flip of the page. But let me tell you this, as somebody needs to hear this today, it wasn't a secret to the people of God if you paid attention to what he said. Because if we go back to when Daniel interpret, interpreted the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, and then he had his own vision, if you remember, he said, this is exactly what's going to happen. Babylonian Empire, Medo-Persia, which was a combined empire, but Medo was way weaker than Persia, so it's really just the Persian Empire, but Babylonian Empire, Medo-Persia, Greek, Rome, what happened in history? Babylonia, Medo-Persia. Greek, Rome, even Alexander the Great called by name. Think about that for a second. This is why it's important that you and I take the word of God right now and ingest it. Let it marinate. Thy word have I hidden in my heart. Because even going forward, the things of God should never surprise his people. Because it was right there all along. God isn't this quarterback sitting back looking to see what the defense has on the field to see which audible he should call. He's the ancient of days. And it was all mapped out ahead of time if you knew it. But the reality is this, and I mean this with as much respect as possible. Churches these days don't equip you for the work of the saints. They entertain you, give you motivational talks, don't teach you a lot of scripture. And because of that, we've been uh, enabling lazy Christians who don't actually study and read the Bible. So when things come to them, they don't know how to deal with it. They'll just regurgitate whatever they heard a, a teacher say. Listen, I'm a man. And I mean that in a way like, do not look at me as your Messiah. Don't look at me as your Savior. Don't look at me as the only time that you hear from the Bible. Do it yourself. I'm not here to entertain you. I'm not here to give you motivational talks. I'm not here to rub your ego and lull you into becoming a glutton of your own spiritual success. I'm here to try to equip you to go do the work of the saints. I want you to have generations of your family that will look back and say, man, we have served God for generations and generations. I want you to hear this. 
This is, this is the part that we don't throw out very often. It's, it, it's, it's Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica. And it's right after he's talking about when God is going to come back, end times. In 2022, we're actually planning on having a Wednesday night study that I'll be leading on the book of Revelation and end times and going through all of the different ways that the world is going to end because it shouldn't sneak up on us. So when Paul is writing about when Jesus comes back, it will be like a thief in the night. And that's the spot that we hold on to. And the reality is, is that's kind of all that we allow it to be because we don't really study it very much. But I want you to hear when he says, Jesus is going to come back and it will be like a thief in the night, dot, dot, dot. Here's the other part that we never talk about. First Thessalonians 5, 4. This changes everything. But you, brothers and sisters, that's his way of talking to men and women of the church, are not in the darkness so that this day should not surprise you like a thief. You are children of light. So you know what that tells me? How this world is going to end and what happens and the timeline that it happens is not a secret to you and I. It will appear like a thief in the night to everyone else, but you and I, we should know because it's all in here, just like it was during the intertestamental period. It was all there. Can I, can I just say something real quick? You can't say no, so it's rhetorical. And I mean this with as much respect as possible. When I hear people say that the vaccine for COVID-19, oh, he's going there, is the mark of the beast, what it shows me is biblical ignorance. Us. Now, I'm not saying get the vaccine or not. I mean, that's up to you. I'm not that stupid enough to talk about that. But what I'm saying is, is that the mark of the beast, the end times, the rapture, the tribulation, all of those things are in Scripture. And if we study it, it should not sneak up on us. Now, is it conditioning us for what Satan is going to use for the end times? Maybe. Maybe I can see the blueprint of how this world can come to an end. But that's not really my business. Because I may die today. My business is every time I have breath in my lungs, am I declaring the glory of God and everybody around me, what Jesus has done for me, just in case the world does end tomorrow. I hope it doesn't end for a really long time. You want to know why? Because there's 93,000 people in Sumner County that are unchurched. So if you say, I want God to come back today, what are you declaring for those 93,000 people that may be my family members? We're running out of time, church. So the start of the New Testament, there's different politics, different languages, different translations. The political climate has changed. The religious climate has changed. And it's setting up the stage perfectly for the Messiah. So we're still in radio silence. What happens now is, is that now we have Greece or Greek as the common language for the first time since it kind of started at the Tower of Babel. We have language that is universal. Most of the ancient world is speaking Greek. That's unbelievable because now we can communicate. There's no Google Translate back then. We communicate now. Not only that, not only do most people be able to read and write Greek, but now we actually have a copy of the Old Testament called the Septuagint in Greek. So no longer do you have to go to the church to hear the priest read to you what the scripture says, what the scrolls say. Now you can. And we have access to it. 
Not only that, we talked about this, I think last week, maybe the week before, but the Roman Empire created the Pax Romana, 200 years of peace. So you have peacetime, you have a universal language, you have copies of the Old Testament, then you have the Romans who built 250,000 miles worth of roads. So now we have a road system that's protected by the Roman government. Now, like, we used to go across the Silk Road. By the time you got your product to China, it would be, you'd be robbed so many times that you probably would die and there'd be nothing left. But now it's protected by the Roman government. And not only that, but 50,000 miles of that is paved. Most of those you still can walk on today. This is going to be important later because when the Messiah does come and there's whispers of it, people are going to travel around the roads and be able to tell everybody through the trade routes. It's also going to be important when a guy named Saul ends up going on missionary journeys and writes letters to other churches because now you have protective roadways, protective waterways, and it's just so much easier to get information out and get it out quickly. It's all lining up. Let's talk a little bit about the political atmosphere. While the Romans are good at ruling, the divide between the haves and have-nots, between the Roman citizens and everyone else, is getting wider and wider and wider. And so the people of God are oppressed. The poor are oppressed. They're angry. They're desperate. They have no hope. And by now, it's been four centuries since they've heard from God. And they have to cling to those promises. They have to cling to those verses. They are desperate. The times in my life that I've been the most desperate for God are the times that I've been closest. One time when I lost my job, didn't know what we were going to do. Randomly, literally, and this may not seem like much money to you, but it did to me, still does. $500 I found in my safe that I had set aside months ago and just literally completely forgot about it. And I found it when our apartment rent was due. I was desperate. And the other time was when my marriage was going through a super rocky season, man. I didn't know if we were going to survive it. And I leaned into God. And it was during those times of desperation, I look back now, and in some weird way, I almost envy that state that I was in because I was so close to God. He felt so close. And I was so desperate. That's the climate right now in the world as the Messiah is about to show up. You then have the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and this part we need to hear. And we're approaching the runway right now. Though there's probably a part of you that says, oh no, keep going, keep going, keep going. And some of your stomachs are rumbling and you're like, no, shut up, shut up, shut up. <laughs> it's like a dichotomy of me feelings. Maybe you feel a little bit of both at the same time. I do. I'm hungry and I need to shut up. But enough about me. The Pharisees and the Sadducees did not exist in the Old Testament. They're here now and they seem to have power. And so what happens is you have two different sects of, of the Israelites and one, the Sadducees don't believe in any supernatural powers whatsoever, and the Pharisees are very law, they love the law. But you got to know this, that they didn't start out the bad guys. They're the bad guys in Matthew 1.1, but they didn't start out that way. And this is important for us to understand, especially those of you that grew up in church. What happened to the Pharisees and the Sadducees? They started off good. They started off wanting to preserve the things that God said, preserve the teachings, preserve the church during a time where it was spread apart. And then what ended up happening is, is they fell in love with the influence they had. 
and they fell in love with the religion and the rituals, and they stopped paying attention to the broken people that were in front of them because they fell in love with what the church has always done, and they put that over the priority of reaching people for the lost. You know any churches like that right now that will, don't say their names, that, that will take the, the religion and the rituals, and because we've always done it this way, and they don't realize that they're not reaching anybody for the lost, they're a spiritual rocking chair. They're moving, but they ain't getting anywhere. And so then what slowly happened is, is they become the bad guys. So now people are fed up with religion, organized religion. People are hungry. People are desperate. People are poor. People are clinging on to what they heard. This whole thing is building up this tension, this tension, this tension, this desperation. This has been a while. They're myths. Did it really happen? And God is about to break his radio silence for the first time in 400 years. Who's he going to break the radio silence to? Is he going to speak to King Herod? Is he going to talk to the Roman Empire? Is he going to talk to the highest level of Pharisee? Who's he going to break his radio silence to to say the Messiah is coming? The hope of the world, the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace, the mighty God, Emmanuel, God with us. Who's he going to speak to? Dr. Luke's gospel, chapter 2, verse 8. Do not just read these as words on a page. Feel the desperation. They haven't heard from God, and now they're about to. What will they say? Chapter 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. That's who God chooses to break his silence to keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Imagine what that would be like. You haven't seen an angel in your whole life. Neither have your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, and now all of a sudden, in the sky, an angel of the Lord appears. And then God does one even better. It says, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. What would that feel like? To finally feel hope for the first time in a long time. It's not just I bring you good news. I bring you news that the Messiah is here. The Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly, here's when God does one better. A great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel. What would that look like in the sky? After you haven't seen anything for a long time, you know what it would look like? You know what it would feel like? The day that you realized you were forgiven by Jesus. The day you realized that your debts, your past, your present, no longer has any power over you. Have you told your children what that felt like? Have you told your grandchildren what Jesus has done for you? Because if not, the truth will expire with you. See, the shepherds didn't just hear this and say, awesome, great. 
something about it. Let the words of Dr. Luke, the words of the multitude of angels echo in this place today. Verse 14, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Church, make no mistake that on that day, the Messiah was born, the promised one, the one that they had been clinging to for hope, for desperation. And make no mistake, church, today that same Messiah is calling you by name. And then guess what happens just a few short years later? What would this be like? As there's whispers going through those roads that the Roman Empire built for God without knowing it. God is so powerful, he can use atheists to do his will. And there's whispers of people are saying the Messiah was born. People are saying that the Messiah is born. And then just a few short years later, people start whispering, there's this weird guy in the Judean desert wearing clothes made of camel skin, eating locusts and honey with the spirit of Elijah, the baptizer, the heretic, who's saying not only is the Messiah born, but he's coming. Whose sandals I'm not willing to, not even, I can't even tie. Like it's not even me. Make room. He's coming. He's coming. The Messiah is here. What kind of hope would they experience as the word spread throughout town? Not only has the Messiah been born, but now the prophesied man with the spirit of Elijah on him is preaching that it's only a matter of time before we experience him. As we enter this Christmas season, I hope that you'll continue to join us because every week we're going to look at the historical perspective leading up to Christmas Day. And for the person who feels like God is silent today and that God hasn't spoken to you in a long time and there's no evidence that he cares about you, lean into that even during times where God may feel silent, he is never inactive. And he is always alive and cares about the details of his children. We serve a risen king. Behold, the Savior has been born, and the government shall be on his shoulders. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, Prince of Peace, Holy One, Emmanuel, God with us. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Lord, Lord, I thank you for your word, first and foremost, God. It's the living word. It's changed my life. It continues to change my life, Lord. I pray for my daughters. I pray for all of the children and grandchildren represented in this church. I pray that you will give us the strength to not have the truth expire with us, God that my daughters will grow up to be mighty women of God and that they will tell their children and their grandchildren. I pray that during this week 
that we will eliminate the noise because you are not silent now. It's just too loud. And we will carve out time to eliminate the noise so that we can hear you, that we can feel you. It's humbling to know that you are always anxious to spend time with us, God. May we take advantage of that. And as we approach this Christmas season, we remember the truth will not expire with us. And until the day we have no more breath in our lungs, we will declare you are the Messiah, the chosen one, the prophesied one, God. We will declare it with our lungs and tell everyone who's around us, God, the good news that happened that Christmas morning. Lord, I love you. I praise you. And I would do anything for you and all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. If God spoke to you, if you made any kind of decision or you have a prayer need of any kind, we want to hear about it. We want to hear your story. We want to be a part of your life. Please click on the contact us button when you go to centerpointtn.com and tell us more about who you are and what God is doing in your life.